God's salvation plan from all eternity to all eternity. Amen? Amen. And we have arrived to Psalm 69. This is week number 9, I guess, in the book of Psalms. And I think we're going to close next week with the book of Psalms. So I'm going to pick up some uh, verses uh, from Psalm 69 that we're going to read together. And then uh, we're going to go ahead and try to study this part, this part of the, uh, the scripture. Um, Psalm 69, we're going to pick and choose from verse 4 to verse 21. Here is what David said in Psalm 69. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. There are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemy wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I must restore it. That phrase is extremely important. Let's, I'll say it again. Though I have stolen nothing, I must restore it. Because... For your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up and reproaches of those who reproach you has fallen on me. Verse 19, you know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart. That's verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for a comforter, for comforters, and I found none. They also gave me gal for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and their will being a trap. Amen. So that is a psalm of David. David wrote that psalm pretty much to um, kind of complain to God about the hard time that he has been going through. But even though this psalm is David, and it's about what David was going through that time, yet it is definitely a messianic psalm. It definitely talks a lot about Jesus. As a matter of fact, this psalm was quoted six times in the New Testament, and each time it's quoted, it's applied to Christ, straight to Christ. Six times in the New Testament, we see direct quotation from Psalm 69 by the New Testament authors and applied to the ministry and the death of Christ and even what happened after his death. If you remember what we said when we started the book of Psalms, we said that there are some Psalms that is parallel to the sacrificial system that the book of Leviticus teaching us about. We talked about Psalm 22, and we said that represents Christ, our sin offering, right? The one who died on the cross to bear the price and pay the consequences of our sins before God. And then we moved on, and this we come to Psalm 69, and in that song we see Christ as our trespass offering. If you go back to verse um, 6, that phrase that I read twice to you, it says, Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it, right? If you remember when we talked about the sacrificial system in the book of Leviticus and how is that a type of Christ, we said that there's only one difference between the trespass offering and the sin offering. Anybody remembers? Nobody remembers. Good. I'm going to preach on the trespass offering next week. So the only difference between the trespass offering and the sin offering is restitution. In the trespass offering, there is a restitution for that which was taken away, but we don't see that in the sin offering. 
If you don't remember that, go back and listen to the sermon about the trespass offering in our website. I think it's going to bless you. It's so good. So that's what we see here in Psalm 69. Again, a prophecy and Christ is talking in the spirit of prophecy. And he's saying, even though I have stole nothing, I must restore it. So that Psalm talked to us about Jesus who is our trespass offering. Next week, we're going to do Psalm 80 and we're going to see Christ our peace offering as well. So since I already spoken to you guys before about Christ being the trespass offering, I thought we can approach the psalm from a different angle. The common word that you see it over and over and over again in Psalm 69 is the word reproach or shame or dishonor. You guys just see it all over that psalm. It seems to be what really was in David's mind when he wrote that psalm. Amen? So that's what I want to focus with you today. I want to show you how the psalm is a shadow of Christ who's going to come not just to bear our shame, not just on the cross, but also throughout his life and ministry. Christ bore the shame and he was insulted, disrespected, dishonored by everyone, not just at the cross, but even throughout his life. Amen? So this is what we're going to be talking about. It seems to me that Paul was kind of referring to that vaguely or alluring to that in the book of Romans chapter 15 verse 2 to 3. Look what Paul said here in Romans 15. He said, Let each of us please his neighbor, for this is good, leading to edification. So Paul is encouraging us not to care about your own personal need, but to care about the needs of your neighbor. And to back up his point, to emphasize that, we see that he's quoting Psalm 69, verse 3 of Romans 15. For even Christ, look at this, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproaches God, the Father, has fallen on me. And we see that a quote, direct quote from Psalm 69 verse 9, right? The reproaches of those who reproaches you has fallen on me. So David said these words, but Paul applies it to Christ. What does it mean that the reproaches of those who reproach God has fallen upon Christ? What does it mean? In, what is Paul trying to tell us here? Amen? Amen. Alright, so let's look a little bit in the word reproach so we can try to understand what Paul is trying to teach us here. The word reproach literally means to blame, right? Like when I approach somebody, I'm just blaming them, I'm rebuking them, something to that extent. And we see the Bible tell us that as well, that the word reproach is parallel to the word blame or rebuke. First, for example, Colossians 1.22, look what Christ did to us. He presented us before God blameless and beyond reproach. So we see that the word reproach here, beyond reproach, is parallel to being blameless. So the word reproach definitely can imply to blame someone, to rebuke someone. But this is more like in our Western mindset, right? In the Middle Eastern or in the Eastern mindset, the word reproach goes beyond just rebuke, goes beyond just blame. It is more rooted in the idea of shaming someone, disgracing someone, dishonoring someone, humiliating someone. That is more the idea of the word reproach in the Eastern mindset. We see so many examples of that in the Old Testament. I'll just uh, name a couple to you so you can understand the point. In Genesis uh, 30, 23, 
I think that was Rebecca, and I forgot to go back and make sure, but I think it was Rebecca. And when she had a baby, she said that the Lord has taken away my reproach. So in her mindset, being barren, being without children is shameful. It's a reproach in her community that she doesn't have children. So once she had a baby, she said the Lord has taken away my shame, my reproach. Not only that. But even if you remember when we talked about David and Goliath and how Goliath stood for 40 days, morning and night, and he was mocking and humiliating the children of Israel. And then when David came to the battlefield and he heard him, what did David say? He said, who is this uncircumcised Palestine who is reproaching Israel, right? So David, for him, reproaching Israel means humiliating Israel, um, mocking Israel, dishonoring, disgracing Israel, shaming Israel. And that's what the word reproached meant in the Old Testament. Amen? And that's over and over and over again. I'm not going to go into all the examples, but in the Bible, we see that the word reproach is almost synonymous with other words like dishonor, Example for that, Psalm 71, 13. Shame, Isaiah 35. Humiliation, Jeremiah 23, 40. It just says, humiliation and reproach. Dishonor and reproach. So we see that this word reproach over and over and over again in the Old Testament, rooted and overshadowed by the idea of shame, humiliation, insulting, dishonoring, making somebody feel bad. Amen? So it's like, uh, the way I look at it is this. In the Western mindset, it's rebuke. In the, in the Eastern mindset, it's rebuke, but not for the purpose of correction, more for the purpose of humiliation, right? Like, you're too bad you're doing that. You know what I mean? But not really caring about the well-being of the person. Amen? Amen. So, what is Paul trying to tell us here? That the reproaches of those who reproach God has fallen on Christ. Amen? What does that mean? Here's the thing. The Bible tells us that when we sin, when we break the law of God, we actually insult God. It's an insult to God that you actually break His law. Because you look, you took His law lightly. You took His command very lightly. So for you, when you sin against God, when you break His law, it's as if you're telling God, you're not really that big of a deal for me. And that's insulting to God. Amen? We see that. I'm just going to show you a couple of examples. Number 1531. We see this, that when you break the law of God, God says, you have broken my law and you have despised me by breaking my word. So despising God, this is strong words, right? Despising God, that's like, God, you're not that big of a deal. You know, it's, it has the idea of humiliating, insulting, and shaming, you know? And we see that in Numbers 15, uh, 31. Not only in the, New, in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament. Remember in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, when the author of Hebrews talk about the judgment of those who reject Christ and sin against Him. He said, how much worse of a judgment you think they will be worthy who, are, who have insulted the spirit of grace. So when you sin, when you reject Christ, you're insulting the Holy Spirit. It's an insult. It's a humiliation. It is a shameful thing that you do that to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. 
Try to get me right. I'm not saying that when we sin, we take away from God's glory. I'm not saying that, right? But what I'm saying is breaking the law of God is insulting to Him, right? It is almost a reproach to God in the sense of shameful approach to God. You know, it's a reproach to God when you sin against Him. Amen? And that's what Christ was saying to the Father. That's what David said, which Christ applied to himself. Paul applied it to Christ. And Christ was telling God, the reproaches of those who reproaches you has fallen on me. What does that mean? Christ was telling the Father. Remember the context in Romans 15 is that Paul is saying, don't worry about your own personal needs, but worry about the needs of others, right? So Paul is telling us Christ had the exact same attitude. Because when he saw that our sins is keep on insulting and breaking the law of God and reproaching him, Christ decided that he's not going to do what is good for himself and still stay in heaven. He rather came down to earth as a human being incarnated in a flesh and lived the perfect sinless Christian life and throughout his ministry he stood against sin every single day because sin is an insult and a reproach to God and not only that but he even went to the cross to die to take upon himself sin which is a reproach to you and me and not only to us but also to God. Amen? Amen. So that's what Paul was trying to tell us here. It's the same concept that we see in Psalm 69 that Christ came to bear the reproach and the shame that sin can cause not just for you and me but also the reproach that sin causes to God. Amen? Amen. So this is what we're going to be talking about for a few minutes here. How Christ bore the shame throughout his ministry and his walk every single day and not only that but also at the cross because we're talking about shadows of Golgotha. Amen? Let's start with his walk, his daily walk. We see that this psalm was quoted a couple of times and applied to the ministry and the life of Christ. The first time we see it quoted is in Psalm 69a when David said, Because the zeal of your house has eaten me up. That quote was applied to Christ. Anybody remembers where? In the New Testament, in John chapter 2, when Jesus went to the temple and he saw that people are buying and selling and they making the house of God as a den of thieves because they didn't care about God's glory. All what they cared about is making a buck, right? I don't think a lot of change has changed. A lot of things have changed since then, right? There's a lot of people who still do the same thing. Don't care about honoring God for a buck. Amen? So Jesus goes there. He goes to the temple, he sees people buying and selling, not respecting God, not honoring God. As a matter of fact, they're reproaching him and insulting him. And what does Jesus do? He makes a whip and he goes after them. He turns their, their table upside down and he gets them out of the temple. And when Jesus was enraged by that righteous wrath for the glory of God, the disciples remembered that. The Old Testament said, Psalm 69, the zeal of your house has a eating me up has consumed me amen remember if you go back to psalm 69 you see verse 9 that it says the zeal of your house has eating me up and in close connections to that what does it say right after that and the reproaches of those who reproaches you has fallen on me right so these two parts kind of connected to each other 
And what John and the disciples remembered back then is this. When Jesus went into the temple and saw people insulting and reproaching and dishonoring God, he got jealous for the sake of the glory of God and he felt insulted himself. Remember, the reproaches of those who reproaches you has fallen on us me Christ filled the insult himself and he could not put up with it and he drove all of them out of the temple amen so Christ bore the shame the reproach even throughout his ministry he felt insulted when God also was insulted the second time now we see that Psalm applied to the ministry of Christ we see that in Psalm 69 verse 4 if you go back and read that it says there are without number those who hate me amen where is that quoted? It's quoted in the book of John, chapter 15. And here is what Jesus said, verse 23 to 25. He who hates me hates my father also. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else done, the miraculous work, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, look, the world and the Jews who surrounded Christ hated him and hated his father. Why? Verse 25, because this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Where is that word coming from? From Psalm 69 verse 4, right? David said they hated me. They're more than the hair of my head. Those who hated me without a cause. Now, hate is such a strong word that they hated Jesus, right? I mean, it is not that they were bothered by him and just let him be, do his thing, right? But they actively hated him, right? This is such a strong word that John would use to tell us how the people who were around Jesus treated him and felt about him throughout his ministry. Amen? And maybe for me that was the reason, the root, why they tried to always to shame him, reproach him, dishonor him, and disgrace him because they hated him. Amen? Look at how Jesus was described throughout his ministry. Look what the Jews described him. Number one, they said that he's a demon possessed. Multiple times in the book of John. We see them calling Jesus Aren't we right that we said that you are demon-possessed? Demon-possessed, that's like very, like you're really in evil and wickedness. So much so that the devil finds it so comfortable that you are his home. Amen? But they have no problem calling Jesus that he is demon-possessed. They called him a Samaritan in John 8, 48. Now, at that time... The Jews despised the Samaritans because the Samaritans were a mixed race, half Jewish and half Gentile. So when you call somebody a Samaritan of that time, it's extremely degradatory term. It's almost like for me, it's like the N-word nowadays, right? It's almost the exact same thing. Now, if somebody's called the N-word, this is outrage, right? And rightly so, right? But Jesus was called that in, in the same equivalent sense. Amen? They said that he's insane, mentally unstable, like literally his brain is not right in John 10, 20. And they said that in association with him being demon-possessed, maybe they're implying that demons is driving him nuts, crazy. His brain is not altogether. They called him gluttonous man and a drunkard. 
sits down, eat with tax collectors and sinners, what they call him, he's greedy and he's a drunk, even though he didn't do any of that. And then a friend of tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. Now, think about it. If somebody say you are a buddy with prostitutes, this is not a, they're not trying to compliment you, right? Granted that they're being arrogant and they're being hypocritical, but when they try to imply that, they're either saying that Jesus is as sinful or he's approving of that kind of lifestyle. Amen? They just mocked Jesus. They insulted him over and over and over again. They even called him a deceiver in John 7, 12, that he's deceiving the people, leading the people astray. This is Jesus who went about doing good, the Bible says, and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Amen? Amen? Yet look how he was dishonored, reproached, put down to shame and humiliation. And we're not even talking about the cross yet. That's just throughout his life. Amen? Amen. Jesus said by the spirit of prophecy in Psalm 69 that the reproaches of those who reproaches you has fallen on me. And we see him being shamed and humiliated throughout his ministry. Even though he has done nothing that deserved that. Amen? Amen. And that wasn't enough. After that, Jesus goes to the cross. And when Jesus goes to the cross, now all the shame that Jesus has experienced before is absolutely nothing compared to the shame that he actually endured on the cross. Amen? Amen. Psalm 69 verse 20, it says that shame has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. Let's go back and read these two verses, verse 20 and 21. This is what David say, a, spirit, a prophecy about Christ. Verse 20 and 21, reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none and for comforter and I found none. Verse 21, they also, remember that, they reproached him, they didn't pity him, they also, say so that's the same context, right? They also give me gal for my food and for my thirst, they give me vinegar to drink. When did that happen, that they give Jesus vinegar to drink at the cross? So David, or the, the prophecy here, the Holy Spirit has led David to say that, yes, Jesus did re experience reproach and shame throughout his ministry, but when he came to the cross and he was offered that gal as food and vinegar as drink, when he was hanged up on the cross, that's when the shame reached its climax, so much so that it has broken his heart and he became full of heaviness because of the reproach that he has experience on the cross. Amen? Amen? We see that over and over. If you read the last few chapters of each gospel, you see that they not just try to torture Jesus and execute him, they also try to publicly humiliate him, shame him, and reproach him throughout the process. Amen? I'm going to focus on two major points here. They tried to reproach and shame Christ through the spitting, the mockery, and the insulting. And number two, they tried to insult Christ through the actual act of crucifixion. Amen? Amen. Let's look at these actions that Jesus experienced even before he was hanged on the cross. They spit at him, they mocked him, and they insulted him. 
if you remember we touched base on that before to spit on someone in the Jewish mindset in the Jewish culture is so shameful it is so humiliating that's why even in the Old Testament when Miriam the sister of Moses sinned and complained about the Cushian woman that Moses married and God struck her with leprosy and Moses started praying to God and say God please heal her look what God said in Numbers 12 14 he said if her father had had but spit in her face should not she be ashamed for seven days let her be shut out of the camp seven days and after that let her be received again and be healed so God is telling Moses you know if if her father would have spit in her face she would have been humiliated and shamed for how many seven days this is just the mindset when you spit on somebody it is the most dishonoring thing it is the most humiliating thing that you can do to somebody to spit on them amen how about Jesus? They spat on him, they mocked him, and they insulted him. Now the mockery and the spitting and the insulting might not afflict physical pain on Christ. So the purpose of these things is not really to make him suffer and being tortured. It's more just to humiliate him and shame him. That was the purpose of all of that. Amen? Let's just look through the history his before even the cross. First, he started in the house of the high priest. So in the Sanhedrin, while he's being judged by the Jewish people, before he was delivered to the Romans. Look at this, Mark 14, 65. Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and beat him, and say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hand. They smacked him on the face. They spat on him, they smacked him, they blindfold him and mock him by bowing before him and say, prophesy since you're a king and you know everything. Why didn't you tell us who slapped you? And then he goes to Pilate. Pilate thinks he hears he's Galilean. So he's happy about that. Send him to King Herod. And then when Jesus goes to King Herod, he's also being mocked, insulted by King Herod and his soldiers. Rome, uh, Luke 23, 11. And Herod with his soldiers after treating him with contempt and what? Mocking him. Dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. What is the point of that robe? Mocking him. Just insulting him. Just humiliating him. Because they assume that he's claiming to be king over the Jews. Amen? They just want to mock him. Look at this. Now he goes to Pilate. And Pilate doesn't want him to be crucified. But he doesn't have the guts to do the right thing. So he delivered him to his soldiers. And obey what the Jewish people wanted to this time. Look what happened to Jesus. Mark 15, 16-20. Then the soldiers led him away into the hole called Praetorium. And look at this. And they called together the whole garrison. It's a feast of mocking and insulting and spitting and beating and dishonoring Jesus. They called out, everybody come, let's have fun with this guy. Verse 17. And they closed him with purple. Again, just mocking him because he said he's king. I mean, they thought he said he's king. And they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, king of the... Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and sweat, spat on him, spitting again, and bowed the knee. They worshipped him. You guys know they're not trying to show him honor this way, right? They're just mocking him. Verse 20. And they, when they mocked him, they took the purple of him and put his clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. He was mocked, insulted, and he was spit at at 
at the Jewish high priest house, then at the King Herod place, and then at Pilate, and then they take him to the cross. And look what we read through that. Luke 23. Now he's, he's, he's being hanged on the cross. I told you this before. When you're up in your deathbed and you're dying, maybe people will try to show some sort of sympathy to you because you're really dying, right? But none of that happened to Jesus. Even when he was hanged on the cross, being del delivering his last breath, what would people do to him? They still mock him, insult him, and make fun of him, and publicly humiliate him. Luke 23, 35-38. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. This is all just sarcasm, right? They're just being mocking and trying to humiliate him. The soldiers also, see, also mocked him. It's sarcasm. Coming up to him, offering him a sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Now there was also an inscription above, his, above him saying, This is the king of the Jews. What do you think is the purpose of that sign? Just humiliation. This guy who's, so, who's naked and beaten and nailed on a tree, Claims or we think that he's the king of the Jews. It is just public humiliation to Christ. Mark 15, 32. Let this Christ, now the two thieves, one on his right hand and one on his left hand. Let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe the also um, those who were crucified with him, they were also insulting him. I mean... How bad is it when thieves and robbers are insulting you and making fun of you? Jesus was humiliated and bore the reproach and the shame throughout the cross, throughout the crucifixion process. Amen? Amen. You think that should be enough? But that wasn't. Then came the actual cruc crucifixion, the actual cross. Remember, the cross and to crucify somebody, this is a public uh, event, right? There's not somebody you take to a room and put them in a comfortable chair and inject them with a lethal injection and they go away, right? There's nothing like that. And they give you the last meal and ask you, what would you like? Nothing like that. The cross is a public event and the purpose of the cross is not just to torture and execute and that's very much the purpose of the cross but also to humiliate and shame the person who was crucified. That's why over and over and over again in the Bible we see that the cross is always associated with shame and reproach. A lot. Let me show you a couple of examples. Let me just flip that page. First example, Psalm 22, 6-7. We talked about this. Christ being the sin offering. Talks about Him dying on the cross for us. And look how the psalmist talks about Him. Remember, this is in the context of the cross. But I am a worm, Jesus saying. And no man, a what? A reproach of men. I am the one that all the people despise, humiliate, and shame. I am the reproach of men and despised of the people. And look at that. How many? All they that see me laugh, me laugh, see me laugh, me to scorn and shoot out the lip and shake their head. There was not just a single person who shed Christ pity on the cross. Amen? 
See, the cross is associated with shame. Isaiah 50, verse 6. Again, another prophecy about Christ. Look at this. I gave my back to the smitter and my cheeks uh, to them who plucked the hair, the hair. And then he says, I hid not my face from what? From shame and spitting. Isaiah 53.3, that's again the context of the suffering servant, Jesus, who will come and be crucified. What does it say? He is despised and he's rejected by men. He's what? Despised, humiliated, publicly ashamed, and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we all hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We esteemed him nothing. Hebrews 12, 2. Look at this. Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, what did he do? That he endured the cross. And what is the following sentence? Despising the shame. Do you see how the cross and shame is always associated with one another? Amen? Amen. Hebrews 13, 12 to 13. Look at this. Where Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The author of Hebrews says Jesus went outside Jerusalem so he can be crucified on Mount Calvary and sanctify the people. And the author of Hebrews pictured Jesus leaving Jerusalem, carrying his cross, and going to Mount Calvary so he can be crucified. And what is he encouraging us to do? Look at this. Let us go forth therefore unto him outside the camp bearing what? His reproach. Bearing his shame because carrying the cross and taking it outside of Jerusalem is a shameful, extremely humiliating event that Jesus has gone through. And the author of Hebrews says, if Jesus was ashamed that much for us, we should be also willing to bear his reproach. Amen? Amen. That is the point of Psalm 69. Jesus, the one who came to bore our reproach, right? Now, think about this. Shame is the result of sin. When you sin, you bear the shame, right? We know that. And that's why Jesus bore the shame, because he came to bear the consequences of... He, bear, he came to bear sin and all the consequences that sin has caused for us. Amen? Amen. Jesus bore the shame because he bore the consequences of sin. Now... Let me just close, close, close with some final thoughts here. If Jesus has bore that much shame for us, not just on the cross, but even throughout his life and his ministry, what should be our attitude? Here is what I'm thinking, just reasoning through a couple of scripture here. If Jesus was willing to bear that much shame for, for us, we should be willing to bear as much shame for him in three areas in our lives. Amen? Number one, in our conduct in the way we walk our daily life that is the point of hebrews 13:3 when the author of hebrews said jesus bore the cross he went outside so he can sanctify the people therefore let us also be sanctified live a sanctified life that we can go out the camp of this world bearing his Reproach. That means we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and worthy of the name of Jesus, even if the world reproach us and shame us. Amen? Amen. We need to stick up to what is right, do what God wants us to do, even if everybody else hates us, mocks us, and shames us, and reproaches us, because we don't care about what people say. We care about the one who came and bared the cross and bared the shame for our salvation. Amen? Amen.
The people can look at you crazy, but you should not care about what the people think. Amen? Oh, what do you mean? You want to wait to have sex before you get married. Where are you from? Are you from the Stone Age? Who cares? Jesus bore the shame. And if they mock you because you're doing the right thing and you're following the command of Christ, let the world mock you all what they want. Amen? We need to bear the reproach in our conduct. But not only that, but also in our commitment and sacrifice for the sake of the name of Christ. Amen? Amen. One of my absolute favorite scriptures in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is verse 24-26. Talking about Moses and how he left Egypt so he can lead the children of Israel. Look what the author of Hebrews said. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, mature enough to decide, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Moses was in line to be like what is equivalent to the president of the United States nowadays, right? The, the leader of the world. That, look at this. The leader of that world, not just his country, right? Egypt was the greatest country of that time, right? And Moses was destined to be the leader of that nation. Yet when he came to understand what his, her, his options are, look at this. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughters, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. I mean, who does that? Think about it. You leave the highest position in the world, not to choose um, a little bit less comfortable position, but to choose suffering for the people of God. Amen? Who would do that in the right mind? Amen? But I tell you one thing for sure. When you experience the love of Christ, you are not in your right mind. Amen? You'll do things that the world will look at you and say, you are nuts, you're doing this. Because you're not looking. You have a different perspective. You have tasted and seen the grace of Him who bore your reproach on the cross. Amen? So that's what Moses did. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the, what kind of pleasures? Passing pleasures of sin. Now that's a smart man right there. The word passing, I think what Moses was thinking about. You know, he said, how long am I going to be a Pharaoh? A hundred years, right? But I have all eternity to spend with God, right? He despised the passing pleasures of sin. And look at this. Look at the verse of that verse. Esteeming the treasures of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, right? The Esteeming the treasures or the reproaches? The reproaches, right? Now, wait a minute. That doesn't even make sense. When you and I think about making a decision, you're trying to figure out which one is a, a higher treasure, right? And if the Bible would have said that Moses have esteemed the treasures of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, we'll all be like, that's a smart man right there, right? Because he did it right. He calculated right. He chose what is more worthy for him. But Moses was not thinking like that. Moses esteemed that the very what? Reproach of Christ is greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Amen? Amen. And that should be our attitude. Amen? Amen? It's like, God, whatever it takes, whatever sacrifice I have to make, if you come down from heaven, if you go to the cross, if you bear that much shame for my salvation, I don't care what the world will think about me. I don't care what it would take to make you pleased with me. I'll do it because the reproach of Christ is far much greater riches than the treasures of the whole world. Amen? This is the attitude we should have. And number three in our witness. Look what Paul said here, Romans 1.16. 
For I am not the ashamed of the gospel. Now, being ashamed of the gospel does not, or ashamed of Christ does not necessarily mean that you're going out and publicly denouncing your association with him, like Peter, when he cursed Jesus and said, I don't know him. He was ashamed of Christ. He didn't want to do anything with him, right? That's an active way of being ashamed of Christ. But I believe that you can also be ashamed of Christ by passively choosing to be quiet and not telling people about him. You're too ashamed of him. You don't want to talk about him. You just want to let it be and let it slide and let it go and not bring Jesus into the mix. Amen? You can be ashamed of the gospel by choosing to be quiet and not telling people about Jesus. I'm just suggesting today that maybe, 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 I'm just saying maybe. And not you guys, I'm talking about that Christian down the road here at that Baptist church. I'm just saying that maybe the reason they're not willing to share the gospel with people is because they're just so afraid and regarding their ego and their honor and their prestige that they don't want to even be exposed to any sort of humiliation for the sake of Christ. Amen? Amen. That is not the case with Paul. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And what does the guy do? He goes to the marketplaces telling people about Jesus. Amen. He goes from town to town telling everyone he knows about the love that Jesus has shown him on the cross. Amen. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that should be our attitude. If Jesus bore that much shame for you and me, why in the world would you be ashamed of him? Let me now just close with that verse. Jesus said in Luke 6, 29, Whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. Look at this. I'll read it again. For whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory. Isn't it so interesting? This has just made me really think yesterday. When Jesus looked at all the public humiliation and the shame that he's going to endure on the cross for your sake, he said, I don't care, I'll choose the shame, right? He will swallow that for you, that much shame he'll take for you. He's no problem for him to take that much shame for your sake, amen? But if you're ashamed of him, this is one kind of shame he cannot take for you. Amen? Amen. He's not going to say, well, you know, I'll just take all your shame no matter what. That's not our Jesus. Amen? He'll, he'll endure the cross and the shame of the cross for your sake. But you're, if you're ashamed of him, he'll also be ashamed of you. He's not going to take that kind of shame from you. Amen? Amen? This is how we need to live. And our conduct... We don't care about what the world thinks.